because it kind of sounds like you should be ordering those. I'd like a promise burger and a side of victory tots, please. (laughs) Pastoral humor. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to take my text this morning out of Ephesians chapter 6. This is the final week of a series that I have been preaching called The Anatomy of a Lie. I've got a, as I did last week, I have a lot of scripture. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. I'm also going to have a lot of points that we're going to throw up on the screen because This week is the culmination of the previous three weeks. If you've been here for the other installments of this series, I've been building up to this sermon, okay? This sermon is where I began. I thought I was only going to preach one sermon, but I found out that probably the foundation needed to be laid so that I could give you, I'm going to give you all the lies of this generation this morning. And in order for you to understand exactly where I'm coming from uh, about it, I needed to build that foundation that we have been building for the previous three weeks. Now, uh, I'm going to probably give you a lot of information this morning. You won't be able to write it all down uh, unless you write really fast. But uh, this morning, is our, our sermon title is called Getting Caught in Your Feels. Getting Caught in Your Feels. That, that's a... a, a that's vernacular that they use uh, in this generation to talk about how uh, somebody uh, gets, gets emotional. It's called getting in your feels. And, and so I'm going to be talking a lot this morning about the difference between facts and feelings. So I'm going to ask if you would, I'm going to stand for the reading of the Word. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. I've been telling you now for three weeks, how do you fight lies? What's the opposite of a lie? The truth, that's right. So, we know we need the truth, but how do you get the truth? Do you get it just from coming to church? We found out that's not good enough, right? Me telling you the truth won't make a lie go away. Paul told us last week that we're in a fight. And here's what he said. He said, you are in a fight. So I can't fight for you. As a matter of fact, Paul told us last week, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That, that's your warfare. That means you coming to church and me giving you a good sermon won't help shut the lies up in your head. He said, this is a fight, and I can't fight it for you. You have to engage this warfare. You have to be deliberate. You have to attack back what is attacking you. And that's what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to learn first this morning in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10. Paul says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of whose armor? God's armor. So that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And we have been learning for the past three weeks that his strategies always include lies. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece, say all of it, Uh every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy of the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Let's look, at the, let's look at the armor now. Okay, we're going to pay special attention to the pieces. Putting on the belt of what? Truth. What's the opposite of a lie? Truth. The belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. The good news is the gospel. The gospel is the truth. So that you will be fully fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These are the defense mechanisms against the enemy's strategies that God has prepared for you to use. And since we're talking about lies it would be fitting to mention that one of the biggest lies that the devil has told this generation is that he's not real. He has convinced too many people that only God exists and he's not involved in people's lives. But why would God give us 
weapons to fight back against an imaginary enemy. He's very real. He is a liar. And he's deceived many. And we know that he's going to deceive many more if we don't learn the truth. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Father, touch every person in this room today to receive this, your word. And bless me, your vessel, to deliver it. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary and enable me with anointing God to speak your word, which is truth. We love your word. We receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. God knows that the devil is real. And that's why he's equipped us with his armor. It says put on God's armor. And did you notice... Out of six pieces of armor, three of them were related to the Word or the truth. So half of what God gave you as a defense mechanism is, is com- containing the truth. Because He knows, God does, that the enemy loves to lie. And I told you a few weeks ago, unfortunately, you like the way he lies. You may not be Rihanna, but you like the way he lies. And the reason you like the way he lies is because you want those things to be true. That's what we discovered a few weeks ago. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 28 says this, For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to your servants. So we know now that his words are truth. And another thing that you should notice is that Paul said there's a helmet of salvation, right? He did not say you have earmuffs of salvation. Now, there's no hearing protection. There's no spiritual earplugs. You're going to have to take care of what you're listening to yourself. God's not going to block you from hearing the lies. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 17. Jesus starts in John 17 praying for himself. We we call this Jesus' priestly prayer. But in verse 9, he starts praying not for himself but for his disciples. And he says in verse 9, My prayer is not for the world, okay? But for those you, he's talking to God, have given me because they belong to you. So he's praying for believers. Are there any believers in the house? Okay, so he's praying for you and he's praying for me. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so they will be united just as we are. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 12. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that no, not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the Scriptures foretold. Now, Jesus is talking to his Father, I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they may be filled with my joy. Look what verse 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world hates them. Because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Now, you're not going to like verse 15 very much. Because he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Stop right there. He is not asking God to remove the believer from the world. We're in the world. We are surrounded by the world. And, and the Bible says that the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. And if the devil is in the air, what did Jesus say the devil was? A liar. Which means you're going to be left in a world that is controlled and constantly surrounded with lies. And listen to what Jesus said. He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe. From the evil one. So we're here, and and no amount of praying, no amount of speaking in tongues, no amount of shouting is going to keep us from being surrounded by lies. They are everywhere. And, and, And I'll get into that deeper as we move along. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your what? Uh huh. Not a lie, but the truth. Teach them your word, which is 
truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your... So if the opposite of a lie is, Jesus said, I have provided them what they need to fight these lies. Listen to what he keeps saying. He keeps saying over and over, I have given them your word, which is truth. I have given them what they need to fight against the lies. So if we have the ammunition to fight, to defend ourselves, why do we believe lies? I told you a few weeks ago, because you like to believe lies. Because you would rather believe a lie that confirms what you want to be true. And I'm going to give you a lot of them on the screen this morning. There's a lot of lies that this generation especially wants to believe is true. You and I are surrounded by lies. That box you have on your wall lies to you. And I don't care what station you tune it to. They're lying to you. How do you know, Pastor? Because that's what the world does. It lies. And if you want to believe a certain kind of lie, there is a certain brand of news that will lie to you the way you want to hear it. They have custom-made, news used to just be news. When I was a little boy and Walter Cronkite and some of those people were still alive and still prevalent, they would just say, this is what happened, deal with it. But now we have politics that has entered the news arena. Now they say, this is what, ha- this is what happened, but don't pay attention to what happened. Pay attention to how we spin it. And, and, and so they, they found out that people really like lies. So now we have a, one that lies for this side, and we have one that lies for that side. You can find ones that tell you what you want to believe. Paul says that we... It, it, Last week, I told you that he told us that there were arguments that would come against you, and you had to tear those arguments down, right? He said, throw them down. Does anybody remember? Was you here last week? He said, you have to throw down arguments. Some of you don't want to throw down arguments. You just want to throw down. So, so, So let me help you. You're not called to win arguments. You're called to win souls. And too many of us have gotten caught up in the lies of the atmosphere, and we have forgotten that we are first ambassadors of heaven. Before we're the citizens of America, or before we're on the left or the right or the middle, none of that matters as much as who we represent. And we represent Jesus Christ. So now we need to learn how to fight with the truth. We need to learn how to fight with the truth. And the first thing I want to teach you is you need to know the difference between an objective truth and a subjective lie. If you have been uh, someone on the fringe of deciding whether you like me or not, this is probably going to be the part of the sermon, and this is the Sunday where you decide, I like that guy or I don't appreciate this. That was my trigger warning. Truth is objective. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. Truth doesn't change based on how you feel about it. You have to conform to truth because truth will not conform to you. In this generation, we have decided that we're just going to erase history. We're going to tear down things that remind us of where we've been and act like that never happened. That's, we have decided that truth has to bow down to feelings. But see, subjective things are like feelings and biases and opinions. Subjective things are things that you think. Let me give you some examples. I think this should be the way we do it. I think the church should operate like this. I think the government should do this. I think you should raise your kids like this. Those are biases. Those are feelings. And those are subjective. You say, not mine. All all of my biases, all of my beliefs, all of my prejudices, all of my opinions, they're rock solid. If you don't think yours are subjective, how many times have you changed your mind over the course of your life? I've raised three children, and I don't raise any of them the same way. I don't raise Hannah the way I raised Alyssa 30 years ago because I have changed my mind about what's important. I've changed my mind about what's worth fighting about. I fought with Alyssa over stuff I just don't care about anymore. She took all the fight out of me. 
And then by the time Jared come along, I barely survived. Hannah might have been feral if she wasn't just had a good head on her shoulders. I might have just let her run wild. No clothing, anything. Just, just feral child. But the truth, the truth doesn't change. The same truth Jesus Christ spoke 2,000 years ago is still the same truth today. And pay close attention to what Jesus said in verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just like I don't belong to the world. Now, I'm about to hurt some feelings. Are you okay? There's a lot of preachers and churches today that are suddenly changing their message. And they're changing what they have believed and what they have preached for hundreds of years. Entire church denominations are flipping the the script and denying what they used to say was truth. Because they, why? Because the world hates the truth. And they are attacking the truth like never before. They are calling the church outdated and bigoted and all sorts of names. And because of that, churches are bowing down. And now they are changing the message because what this world wants is for truth to be subjective. They want truth to come down to them so they don't have to rise up to it. And because the church wants to be liked by the world, We are changing what we preach because we don't want people to become offended. The world believes everything is subjective. They don't believe in absolute truth. They believe feelings are the most important determinant of what is true. However, feelings are subjective. Feelings change every 15 minutes or so. So they're trying to bring truth down to be subjective because you can't fight against objective truth. I, I, I get cracked up at people who get mad when they get a speeding ticket. The sign was there. It, 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 they say, well, it's not fair. It wouldn't be fair if they made you guess what the speed was. Like if they just pulled you over and said, guess how fast you're supposed to be going. That's not fair. But it's totally fair that they post it on signs that you can read. And then you decide, I don't care what that number is. I got places to be. That's, that's totally fair. So Jesus, Jesus said, I'm not going to take you out of this lying, hateful world. I'm going to let you go out like sheep among wolves. But I'm going to give you weapons that are not carnal. I'm going to give you something to stand on to fight the lies. I'm going to give you a truth that will never change. Immovable, unshakable, it will never be different than what you learn. If you learn it one time, you never have to learn it again because it will never change. And Jesus, by the way, knows that this truth will work. Because when he was out in the wilderness being tempted by the devil and all of his lies, Jesus had one comeback. It is written. So he knows the truth will always work. Now I'm going to give you a list of common lies that this generation loves to believe. Okay? Are you ready? Are you sure? Because the first one's going to it's, it's, I'm going to jab, jab, jab and then uppercut. Okay? I'm, I'm setting you up. We're going to we're going to rope-a-dope you. Because the first one sounds like something that God would want. You should do whatever makes you happy. Well, doesn't God want me happy? Well, that depends. This one can also be translated as, I deserve to be happy. The pursuit of happiness is one of the most damaging and dangerous goals that people can set for themselves. Well, don't God want me happy? Not if what makes you happy isn't what's best for you. Not if what makes you happy turns you against your Creator. Makes you deny His truth. Then no, He doesn't want you happy. As a matter of fact, and you won't like this either, God could care less whether you're happy. He promises you the joy of the Lord, not the happiness thereof. 
He, he provides for you joy, and in that joy, you have to find your own happiness. And by the way, I've been alive long enough and been around folks long enough to know what makes you happy now won't make you happy in 15 minutes. You'll want the new upgrade pretty soon. I, I, I'll leave that alone. The second lie that people believe in this generation is you can't do what God wants you to do. So they're telling preachers, you have to quit preaching things that is impossible. And they say things impossible like we're supposed to believe that all things aren't possible. They say things like, you can't preach to this generation to stay sexually pure. There's too much out there. There's too many TikToks. There's, there's, there's too much Snapchat. There's, there's too much. They're too involved. You can't preach that anymore. Well, the truth doesn't change because an app was invented. Because people are surrounded more by lies. That doesn't change. The worst thing about this lie is that it stops you before you ever start. If you don't believe you can do what God wants you to do, you'll stay an addict. Because that lie tells you, I can't get clean. That lie tells you, I can't have a good marriage. That lie tells you, everything I touch falls apart. That lie tells you, I am a failure. I can't be a Christian. I can't start my own business. Before you ever start, this lie has convinced you, you can't. And so in contrast... God is not just a creator, he's a creator of potential. And that's why he says, I can do all things, Paul does, through Christ who gives me strength. The, the next lie, and this one is going to be important uh, as, we, as we go into a, a new season in our church, God won't. It, that, that seems like a simple phrase. God won't what? God won't help me. God won't answer my prayers. God won't promote me. God won't heal me. God won't bless me. Whatever it is that you need, the lie says God won't do it. God won't hear my prayers. God won't love me. Can I tell you that when you're saying those things, God hears your heart. And, and He knows that that is a cry from a broken heart. And, and I know one thing about God. You can keep pushing Him away, but He don't ever leave. He just keeps it because it says He knows our frame. He understands how frail you are. And even when you are trying to fight against God, God is always trying to draw you to Himself because He loves you too much to just drop you and abandon you and let you go. Here's another one that this generation uh, has fallen under delusion for. I will be happy when I get or I have or I reach. Satan loves for you to be looking for the next big thing to make you happy. Uh, for some people, uh, for some people, it's as simple as I can't wait for the new iPhone to drop. For some people, it's I can't wait to get that promotion. For some people, it's I can't wait to get the house built. For some people, it's I can't wait for the kids to be born. And then for some people, it's I can't wait for the kids to leave. <laughs> but through the words of Paul. That's a, all of that is subjective opinions and feelings. But objective truth says, I can learn to be content no matter where I am. That's, that's the truth. Here's one that this generation has yet to grasp hold of, even though I keep preaching it. God is only love. This generation loves to talk about Jesus and loves to talk about God as long as we only talk about one side of him. And that is God is love. Because love is love, which is the dumbest phrase you're ever going to hear anybody utter. You can't use a word to describe that word. Chair is chair. Rain is rain. Oh, thanks. That clears it up for me. Now I understand. You can't use a word to define itself. That, that's, that's mind trickery. That's lies. And by the way, it's subjective. Because when people, people that don't really follow the teachings of the Lord tell you, well, God is love, you're right. But He's also a God of judgment and wrath and justice. And at some point, He's going to be the King of kings and all knees will bow before Him. And there's a whole lot of stuff about King Jesus that people won't think is very loving if you read the Scriptures. 
Well, he loves me. He won't condemn me, right? He doesn't condemn you. You condemn you by your unrighteous and unholy acts. You condemn you. So, so it's lies. It's built on, well, God is love. You're right. He is. The Bible even tells us, 1 John 4 and 8. But anyone who does not uh, know God, they don't love because God is love. That's right. He is. But he also has wrath and he also has holiness and, and a standard of living. So that's, that's a lie. Here's a big one in this generation. If I feel it, it must be true. Somebody start singing, Lord, help him, Jesus. Because this is where I get canceled, y'all. I'm going to smile for the camera. Because this is, this is where they're going to clip it out and put it. This hateful preacher. It's me. If I feel it, it must be true. This is why we got so much confusion in this generation. Because the world is promoting everybody should follow how they feel. No matter what the truth says. So now we got people who can't pick a bathroom. Can't pick a pronoun. Can't pick whether. Stuff I knew when I was 18 months old. That when I went to school and they said, male or female. I knew. And now all of a sudden, okay. So, so, so they're basing their lies their lives on lies. They're basing their lives on feelings. And feelings are subjective. They change. They fluctuate. They're up, they're down. They're in, they're out. They're hot, they're cold. Anybody that's been married to a female, say amen. Now you just got in trouble. I set you up and you fell for it. You can't say that, men. You can't. The world, the world has this phrase, follow your heart. I have a phrase about that phrase. Be careful where you end up. Because following your heart will get you into some mess. You'd be better off to follow a stray dog than to follow your heart. Well, why would you say that, Pastor? Because the Bible warns me. Proverbs 28 and 26 says, Those who trust their own insight are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That's your heart. Follow that? No thanks. The world's told us that feelings aren't right or wrong. This is, what, this is where this lie graduates to. They'll tell you that you should not tell somebody their feelings are wrong because when you listen to them and they tell you their feelings, you shouldn't argue with them because to them their feelings are real. And what that does is it sounds real sympathetic, doesn't it? It sounds like you're really caring for those people. But it also reinforces Satan's work. Just think about how many times the enemy can use untrue feelings against you. If I feel unloved, it must mean I am. If I feel worthless, I must be worthless. If I feel like God has deserted me, why would I keep praying? Why would I keep seeking Him? If I feel like life is hopeless, why do I want to keep living? You see how he turns your feelings against you? You see how dangerous it is to follow your feelings? And then we take it one step further. If our feelings are our truth, and that's what they keep saying. They say, well, this is my truth. Have you heard that little phrase? Well, that's, this is my truth. Truth is truth. It, we, we, we can't have every single person having their own truth because then there is no truth. Here's, here's the way that he uses this lie. If you feel in love, anything you do is okay as long as you call it love. If you feel out of love, anything you do should be okay. Just walk out. Just leave. Just divorce because that's how you feel. 
But what's missing from this equation is what is the truth? Infatuation is a feeling. Romance is a feeling. Happiness is a feeling. Sadness is a feeling. But love, love isn't a feeling, it's a choice. And our decisions must be based on the truth and not fleeting feelings that change with the weather or change with our hormone levels or change by your circumstances. See, your soul has three intertwined parts. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your mind and your emotions inform the will by what we encounter and what we experience. So what you go through, your mind and your emotions take that information and give it to your will. And it will. if you're not led by truth, you'll love this person Monday and that person Tuesday and they look good on Wednesday. Because what you're experiencing, what you are feeling will guide you. But if you're going to walk in freedom, you got to realize that your emotions are not trustworthy. You can't trust how you feel. And you have to be willing to reject any feelings that are not consistent with the truth. That's why Paul said you have to pull down these arguments. And if you're one that's prone to just let your emotions get the better of you, you got to learn how to fight with the objective truth. John 14, 27. Listen to what Jesus said. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and, a, and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Here's what he said. He said, the peace the world gives you will drive you nuts. Because the world can't make up its mind what's important. If you pay attention to the world, they just do their. To feel whatever, wherever the wind's blowing. Uh, all the war, uh, the war over here is important this week. Note, the war over here is important this week. And these rights and these people, this group of people is important now. And they'll just blow you all over the place if you're led by your emotions. He said, the peace of this world will drive you crazy. Philippians 4 and 6, we, we had this scripture last week. Don't worry about anything, Paul said. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Paul said, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your feelings. That's anxiousness. So don't, don't feel anxious about anything. He said, you can't be led around by how you feel because feelings are subjective. They are based on how life is treating you right now. Some of you come into church on Sunday mornings with tears flowing down your face because life is treating you rough right now. And that's why, you're, that's why you come to church. You want to be in an atmosphere where God can pick you up and he can surround you with people who love and care about you. So, because life is, thank God we're not all being kicked around right now. Thank God that on some Sundays it's you and other Sundays it's me. And, and when you're weak, I'm strong and vice versa. So thank God that that's the way he, he works things for our good. But... Your, your emotions are based on how life's treating you right now. Are you sad? It's because life's not treating you well right now. Are you upset with somebody? Are you triggered at my sermon? It's because of how life is treating you right now. But you can't live by your feelings. If you haven't been upset with me now, this is your chance. Because we are prone to say things like, Well, they hurt my feelings. Buttercup, your feelings are subjective. Do you know what's objective? The Bible says if God says he forgives us, then whether or not we feel forgiven doesn't change the fact that we are. Forgiveness works whether we feel it or we don't. Mark chapter 11 verse 25 says this, but when you are praying... First, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against. So that, say so, that's a big two-letter word. So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So I'm going to draw all that into one big phrase. If you feel animosity, holding a grudge against somebody else, he says go make that right before you come to God and ask God to forgive you. Because the truth is, God won't forgive people who won't extend forgiveness. That's an objective truth. It doesn't change based on what they did to you.
Oh, wait, you don't know what they did to me, Pastor. Doesn't make any difference. They were horrible to me. They scandalized me. They lied about me. They hurt me. They abused me. Doesn't has absolutely no relevance. Because the truth is, if you want God to forgive your foolishness, you're going to have to extend the same forgiveness to other fools. It's, it, that's the objective truth. Your subjective feelings do not matter. Well, they really hurt me. Okay? I'm not denying your feelings. But you know what has never in the history of humanity killed anybody? Hurt feelings. Nobody's ever died and the doctor says they died of hurt emotions. Doesn't happen. Nobody's birth certificate or uh, death certificate has that phrase on it. Died because somebody said something mean. That's not what happens. Well, I just don't think my life is too great and I'm really sad all the time. Well, you're in good company. Elijah was depressed. Jeremiah fought depression. Jonah fought depression. David fought depression. Psalm 42 is all about David's depression and his fight against it. But in Psalm 42, he also says this in verses 5 and 6. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. And the reason this is important is because if you don't learn how to control your emotions, your emotions will control you. And that's what David was saying. He says, I'm very distraught. I'm very depressed. I don't like the way my life is going, but i got to put my mind on God because that's objective truth. And I have to remember Him because I don't want my emotions to be controlling me. If you don't learn how to control your emotions, your emotions will control you. So I'm going to give you three, three key points to that. Don't make decisions under the influence of a strong emotion. Strong emotions can interfere with hearing the voice of God. Don't have a fight and sign divorce papers Two hours later, give yourself a minute to cool down. Don't be making life-changing decisions after the most devastating news of your life. Number two, don't use your emotions to find the will of God. <laughs> We've already discovered that our hearts does not lead us exactly where God wants us to be. Number three, don't rely on your feelings as a barometer to how much God loves you. I hear people say all the time, or they'll post on Facebook, I just feel so loved today. Well, that's nice. But what if you didn't feel loved? Does that mean God loves you less because you don't feel it today? You can't let your emotions control how you feel. You, the truth is, you are loved. God has loved you with an all-compassing, overwhelming, uncontrollable love. The reason you're still here is because He's still loving you. And, and, and so it doesn't matter whether you feel up, because I'm going to be honest with you, I've been saved a long time. Now, my wife says, debatable. No, I've been saved a long time. Theologically, I've been saved a long time. What do you mean by that? Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that I am, theologically, I've been saved a long time. Emotionally? Sometimes I'm saved. Sometimes I'm wondering. You know, sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. You know what I mean? You know, some of y'all get me. Like, like I, theologically, justifiably, I'm saved. And sometimes I go to Walmart and I feel saved. Until... So I can't follow my feelings. I'm saved because the word, the truth, the objective truth says I'm saved. And sometimes I feel it. And sometimes I question, <laughs> God, if you're going to leave me down here with your kids, <laughs> you have to help me or help them. <laughs> okay. Here's the next lie. I can't help how I feel. I will tell you that you will not get through life without feeling things like pain and loss and anger. But the truth is, you can't let those things control you. Take, for example, somebody says something that you don't like. Depending where you are emotionally at that time, you might feel insulted. What they did was wrong. But how you handle it is on you. 
Because what are you going to do with that emotion? You feel insulted. Depending on where you are emotionally, some of y'all are just like, I don't care. But depending on where you are emotionally, you might take that internally and say, I feel insulted. Well, what are you going to do with that emotion? Are you going to keep feeding it? Are you going to keep rehearsing it? Are you going to keep going over it and over in your mind? You have a choice as to what you do with those feelings. So I want to show you how to deal with emotions. i got about five things that I'm going to show you how to deal with emotions. Number one, you got to know the truth. Everything has to be measured and gauged against the truth. Do you know why when somebody says uh, they're getting ready to build something, do you know why they use a tape measure? Do you know why we use yardsticks or rulers or protractors or, uh, or tape measures or uh, ga- uh, odometers on your car? Because the, it's a standard. An inch is an inch in this building and in your house. It makes no difference how you feel about a standard of measurement. I don't really like that inch. I don't agree that an inch should only be that long. I think my inch is in my house. Makes absolutely no difference. You know how ridiculous you would sound if you just decided your standard's not going to be everybody else's standard when it comes to time? No. I know the clock says 1139. I'm calling it Febuartine. You can't just change the standard. If you're in Ohio, a mile is the same in Ohio as it is in New York, as it is in Taiwan. A mile is a mile is a mile because a standard gauges it. So if you run out of gas, some of us have been there. Some of you are always there. That's another sermon for another time, but I don't know how some of y'all end up out of gas so often. There's stations everywhere. But if you run out of gas and your nearest gas station is one mile away, how far do you have to go to get gas? Thank you. Not rocket science, right? But let's just say that you're not used to walking a mile. A mile is objective. It is what it is. It's a standard of measurement. It doesn't change. And you're not used to walking a whole mile. You're used to going uh, to Walmart and saying, I feel like I walked 14 miles today. When really you walked from the car to the front and then you leaned on a buggy for three hours. And you said, that's about 14 miles. But when you have a demarcation that you have to reach, and it is a mile away, You don't get to 27 steps past your car. Say, this is far enough. This is a mile. This is where I am. Because I'm tired. Being tired is subjective. The distance that you have to go to get fuel is objective. That gas station's not relocating because you got sweaty. You're going to put in the whole mile or you're not going to get gas. So we can't be expecting the truth to bend to how we feel. And if God's word is our standard, you're going to have to deal with your emotions and bring your thoughts into captivity. That's what Paul meant. You have to know and believe what the word says about your thoughts. And if your thoughts don't line up with the truth, your thoughts are wrong. Number two, remember who's in charge. It's not you. It's not what you want. It's also not the people who wounded you and hurt you. So stop giving them the ability to control your emotions. And it's also not the enemy. The enemy only knows your feelings if you speak them out loud. Keep some stuff inside and the enemy won't be able to beat you over the head with it. Number three, compare your instincts with the truth. Some people say, well, I just feel it in my gut. I felt some stuff in my gut before. Didn't have nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. Just because you feel it in your gut doesn't mean that you should be following it. It might be the pizza you ate last night. So be careful. Compare your instincts with the truth. Remember, you like to believe lies. You want false things that feels good, that looks good, that tastes good. You want those things to be true. So your gut 
Your instincts could be following after that. Your instinct could be, I'm going to smack somebody in the mouth. That might be your instinct. Doesn't mean you should follow it. Your instinct might be every time you feel pressure to go to the liquor store. Your instinct might be, oh boy, help me Jesus. Every time you feel anxiety, you might, you might get a dopamine hit by hitting that Amazon app. Because you like to see them smiling boxes show up on your front porch. Because you get that dopamine hit over. And you've got an emotional void that you're trying to fill. So you keep getting stuff, trying to fill a hole that stuff won't, never mind. We, we had a dog named TJ. He's not with us anymore, but we had a dog named TJ. And we used to be able to put TJ's food in a bowl and leave it there. And he would eat what he wanted and leave what he didn't. Okay, we had two dogs after him called Carmen and Otis. We still have Otis. We couldn't do that with them. They had no off switch. If you put five pounds out, they would eat five pounds. TJ ate what he needed and then left the rest for later. Otis eats all that's in front of him and don't stop until the bowl is empty. So people are like that too. If you have impulses, some of you don't have an off switch. You've got to be very careful following your impulses because some of you have an impulse like anger and you don't have an off switch. Some of you got an impulse like lust. You don't have an off switch. Congress is like that with our money. They don't have an off switch. <laughs> when, when they're teaching a pilot to pilot planes, they have to teach them to not trust their instincts. They have to trust the gauges because the gauges are objective. They don't change by how your heart rate speeds up and how your intensity magnifies because a pilot that's flying into a storm loses the sense of direction sometimes he don't know whether he's level or not he has to trust his gauges you have to trust your gauge because when you're in the middle of a storm when you're in the middle of a storm you're going to feel wonky you're going to feel off balance you're going to feel off kilter off center and you can't trust what you see, how you feel, because they said that when a pilot is in a plane, he'll feel like he's, he's heading the way he's supposed to, and he'll actually be heading down because he can't tell the difference. You have to trust your gauges. Friend, you've got a gauge. It's called the Word of God. It's instruction for righteousness. Trust the gauge. And then once you learn the truth, examine yourself. Number four, are you closer to God right now than you were this time last year? And if not, why not? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you quit doing something that you wanted to do, that you wanted to do? Like, I gave up Brussels sprouts. Like, for my Lord, I have sacrificed and gave up Brussels sprouts. So I says, that sounds like he's very sacrificial. No, I don't like Brussels sprouts. So for me to give them up for the Lord, big whoop. When's the last time you gave up something you still wanted because you knew God wasn't pleased with it? Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Or maybe you've adopted some attitudes or habits that you know God's not pleased with. And instead of examining yourself and saying, I have to get rid of this, you're making excuses for it because you like the way you lie. And number five, don't get caught in solitary confinement. When I talk to you about Elijah being depressed, when I talk to you about Jeremiah fighting depression, when I talk to you about David and Jonah, all these brothers got wrapped up in their emotions for a season. And listen, we all do it. It's not the end of the world that, that you get caught up in your emotions because we're emotional creatures. Sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's depression or anxiety or rebellion. But what made their situations worse was that they went and hid in an isolated place alone. Elijah went and hid in a cave. David did too. Jeremiah went over on a hillside and just wept like a baby all by himself. Jonah rebelled, broke away from the crowd, and went the opposite way of what God was telling him to do. Don't hide alone. Get in church. Don't just come to church. Connect. That's why God gives us, I'm going to be preaching a sermon in a few weeks about the body. And that's why he gives us 
the church. So you can have people to talk to, to share with, to help you overcome. Because you don't want to be alone. God didn't create you to be alone. We have the ability to lay hands on people and see them healed. We have the ability to lay hands on people and see them delivered. We have the ability to lay hands on people and see them overcome. So don't isolate. The enemy loves to get you by yourself. Do you want to know why? Because you will believe a lie easier when there's no other voices to compete for your attention. You can control your emotions. It's just easier not to. And that's why so few people do it. And here's the last lie that we're going to look at. This is just how my life is. This is just how my life is. I, I, I just The Mitchams have always been this way. We're just an angry people. All of, all of my family, all, they all get divorced. We're all big drinkers. We all have a short fuse. And we, we wear those things like our badge of honor. Like we want to go out and tell people, don't mess with my family. We all have a short fuse. <laughs> okay. Thanks for the warning. People do that about nationalities. Like, if you listen to people talk, you'd think that everybody in Ireland is just drunk all the time. I mean, they say, well, the reason I drink like this, I'm Irish. Like, if you go over there, nobody's sober. Or, I'm Hispanic, I have a short fuse. Go down to Mexico, everybody's in knife fights. Just nobody, nobody's calm, nobody's got their wits about them. They're just all fighting each other. But what we do is we try to cast blame on where we came from so we don't have to work on who we are. Well, my mom and dad was divorced, and she didn't want me, and dad was a drug addict, and I was raised by my grandparents, and that's, that's why I'm filling the blank. That's why I don't trust people. Or that's why I'm an addict. Or that's why I don't like members of the opposite sex. Whatever. It, we're always believing the lie that this is just how my life is. The danger with this lie, and the reason I saved it for last, is because when you buy into this, you stop trying to help yourself. Because you think, nothing I do is ever going to matter. So why fight? This is just who I am. This is the hand I was dealt. Whether you believe it was because the way you were raised, or how you were born, or the blood that flows through your veins, whatever it is, you've taken your hands off the steering wheel of your life, and you've said, I don't control any of this. This is just how God made me. But that's subjective. Because the objective truth is 2 Corinthians. And here's what it says. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Old things have passed away. And new life has begun. So this is the truth. Your lie says this is just how my life is. And listen, I'm not diminishing your pain. Please hear me. We've all got stories. I'm not diminishing your pain. I'm not telling you that what they did to you was right. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't feel some kind of emotion attached to it. I'm just telling you that when you buy into the lie that this is just who I am, you stop growing. And your life's never going to be any different than what it is. Are you happy with it? Are you content with your life where you are? Are you content with the choices you make? Or do you just make excuses and say, well, this is just the hand I was dealt? No, you can change that, friend. You can grow past that. Because you are a new creature. New things have, and, and, and some of us ignore the fact that God puts a new thing in us because we're still holding on to the old thing. He... He doesn't, he doesn't care about if you still cry about it. He just don't want you to be bound by it. I knew. And it took me a long time to learn this, Sister Sarah. It took me a long time because 
I came from a long line of angry people. I, I would fight in a, in a minute. I, I just, I thrived on chaos. I, I, wanted, I wanted as much disruption going on because that's how, that's how I was raised. I didn't, I didn't know how to handle a room that was calm. That's why I want you all going, Woo! Good preacher, preacher! I thrive in that atmosphere. I wanted loud basketball games when I played. I wanted loud sports arenas. I wanted, I wanted loud kids, and the Lord blessed me abundantly. I wanted, I wanted it loud because I was used to loud, anger, tension-filled rooms. That's the atmosphere I thrived in. I learned how to just cast off the anger, throttle that emotion, and use it as fuel. Now I got saved. I realized he didn't want me angry. And being the smacking pastor wasn't going to work. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> How long you been doing it? Let me help you. That was not the compassion he was calling me to exhibit as a man of the cloth. And I didn't know how to handle it when I'd go into meetings and everybody was calm. I didn't know how to handle it. Come into church and everybody was just sitting. I didn't know how to handle it when I was supposed to talk to my family and bring them to a place of peace. It was always, it took me a long time to realize that's not who I am anymore. He didn't rewire my brain. I, I have to do that. That's why, that's why Paul said you have to bring every thought. You have to cast down every thought that tries to exalt itself above God. That's why Paul said forgetting the things which are behind. I press. Do you hear that word? I press. It's not easy. It's not simple. It doesn't feel good. But I press toward a prize which is in Christ Jesus. So I just want to know, how, how are you feeling? This is the end of my sermon. This is the end of this sermon series. How are you feeling about where you are emotionally, where you are in, in, in relation to the lies that I have shown you up here? Because we're going to sing this song that we've been singing for the past three weeks. And they're going to be passing out the elements of communion. And this will be the last time we do this song. Uh, not ever, I don't guess, but be the last time we do it like this. And as we sing it, I want you to pay attention to the words. It is done. Listen, you're a new creature. If, you, if you're saved, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. That means all the lies that the enemy has told you and you've been operating under, they can end this morning. Right here, right now. You say, I can't fully serve Jesus because I can't let go of this habit. You can let go of it. I promise you can. Some of you don't think you can survive, but uh, you can't fully serve Jesus because you can't let go of a relationship. I promise you'll survive without them. But you don't want to survive without Jesus. I promise you will not die of a broken heart if you don't have to fight with them anymore. If you don't go to jail over them anymore. But you don't want to live without Jesus. Choose to follow him. Choose to fight the lies this morning with truth. And we're going to stand and we're going to begin to sing this song. And as we do it, and we're, again, we're going to do communion like we have done it the last two weeks. We're just going to take it all at one time together. I'll give you the cue and we'll, we'll take it together. And I'm believing that as you take it, healing, deliverance, a new mindset, an attitude adjustment. Whatever it is you need, it's possible and going to happen this morning. And then if you want to come to the altar and pray. Oh, it's open. Thank you. If you want to come to the altar and pray after that, please feel welcome. This is, this is what we do to make contact physically with what we believe spiritually is happening in us. A change. It's done. You don't have to do the work. 
Friend, you don't have to do the work. It is done. The miracle's already inside of you because of what he did on Calvary. Would you stand with me this morning as praise team gets ready to lead us?